Come, thou long-expected Jesus. You've heard that. We, we sing that. That's our, that's our theme for this Advent series. Kind of highlights the reality that, that that first Christmas morning, while it was a bit of a surprise perhaps to the shepherds, was not unexpected. In fact, for centuries, well, for millennia, really, those who had been in tune and who had heard God's promise of a Messiah were expecting his arrival at some point. Long expected Jesus. I'm I'm excited to, to, to bring you this next kind of installment in that series. It comes from the prophet Malachi. Malachi is not a prophet that we often hear of. The, the Hebrew word Malachi means messenger. And, and because of that, honestly, there are people who scholars who wonder, is Malachi the name of the prophet? Or is Malachi simply a statement that the prophet is a messenger? Some have suggested maybe it's the prophet Ezra writing the book of Malachi. I don't suppose it really does us a lot of good to try and figure out who the author is. We likely aren't going to come to consensus on that. Certainly people who know more about it than I do don't seem to agree, and that's okay, because it doesn't necessarily matter who wrote it. It's God's word through the prophet. And it's appropriate for us to go to Malachi in the time of Advent, because Advent has kind of a twofold purpose. Number one, in Advent, we look forward to celebrating Christmas, to celebrating the coming of the Messiah on that first Christmas. But in Advent, we also look forward to Christ coming a second time, coming again, coming to to take us with him. And so it's both his first coming and his second coming that we anticipate at Advent. And Ezra was the last of the prophets. I'm sorry, Malachi was the last of the prophet, the prophetic books written. And so after Malachi, there's over 400 years before Christ comes. And so the people at that time too were saying, We're waiting for a Messiah. Just as we wait for him to come again, they were waiting for his appearance on that first Christmas. And so we're going to take a look at the words from Malachi chapter 3. As God speaks through the prophet, Malachi 3 verses 1 through 6. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then, suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. 
The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He'll purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, And deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Father, these are your words. You give them to us to teach us your truth. Would you shape our hearts and our minds with your truth? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Malachi begins this passage by saying, there's a messenger coming. And we know from from looking ahead, from, from what we read in the New Testament, and even from what Jesus himself has said, we know that that messenger is John the Baptist. So Malachi says, first there'll be a messenger, and then he says, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. It's an interesting kind of play here. Long expected comes suddenly, right? It probably felt that way, certainly, to those who were there that night and may not have realized exactly what all that was going on, but after all those years of waiting, not only 400 years of silence, but but generation and generation and generation of those who had heard the prophets speak of the Messiah And all of a sudden, there he is. And the prophet asks, this image of suddenly appearing at the temple, the prophet asks, but who can stand in his presence? Who who can stand when he shows up at his temple? Have you ever been someplace and and all of a sudden you realize, I don't think I belong here. I think I'm out of my league. When I was an eighth grader, went to a little, a, a, a small 
elementary school, K through eight elementary school, there were six kids in my elementary class. I know this sounds like a story your grandpa told, right? There were six kids in my elementary school class as eighth graders. And, and when we were done with eighth grade, the high school we went to was going to be across the state line into Minnesota. And my eighth grade year, the, the local American Legion in my hometown said, we're going to pay to send these eighth graders to the South Dakota Capitol in Pierre to see the South Dakota legislature at work. And I don't know if they thought, you know, once they get across the state line, we lose them. I don't know, what the, I don't know if that was at play. But anyway, they loaded us up in a van and hauled us three and a half hours to the city of Pierre the Capitol, we got to see all kinds of stuff, the legislature at work, all of that kind of thing. Our host was a next door neighbor of, of mine that was uh, our district's representative in the local, in, in the South Dakota legislature. And so he knew his way around and he kind of, at one point in time, he ushered us into this office on the first floor of the Capitol building. We went into the office and we sat in this big waiting room outside the office. It had really kind of plush, fancy furniture. In fact, it was one of those places where the furniture is so fancy that it's not even really comfortable. Right? You ever been there? <clears throat> so we sit there and we wait a few minutes and then the door opens and in walks Governor Richard Knipe. <clears throat> Now, my parents had the news on every night. And if something big was happening in the state of South Dakota, it was Governor Richard Knipe's picture that was on the news. And if there was a story about something going on, more often than not, he's the one that would be standing there delivering the speech or talking about the issue. This was the governor. And as a 14-year-old, I thought, well, what do I do when the governor walks in? It, it never, I'll be honest, it never once crossed my mind that what I should do is stand up, walk over to the governor and say, good afternoon, governor, my name's Tony. I thought, I'm just going to sit here until somebody tells me what to do because I'm out of my league the prophet asks, who can stand? It's a little bit like a 14-year-old in the presence of the governor. How would I dare stand? Would I presume to do that? I don't belong. It's a little bit like that question to the prophet. And in case we're wondering about whether or not we're in that category, who can stand, in case we wonder, he goes on to give us some good reasons why we might feel that way. First, the, gov or the, the governor, the prophet, wow, <clears throat> the prophet uses an image of Christ as the purifier. When he comes, suddenly in his temple, he comes as a purifier. He uses two images, the refiner's fire or the launderer's soap. He's both of those things. 
You, you may be a little bit familiar with the process of refining. When you're going to refine gold or silver, you put it in a cauldron, in a, in a kettle or a pot or a big kiln, and you heat it up. And the solid turns to a liquid with enough heat. And as the liquid begins to boil, the gold or the silver are heavier than all the impurities. They sink to the bottom and the dross, the impurities, come to the top. You skim that off. And the more you do this, the more pure the the silver or the gold is going to be. And the prophet says, this one who comes to his temple comes as a refiner's fire. He is the one who purifies. He is the purifier. Takes, takes silver ore and turns it into pure silver. He also uses that image, which is a little bit strange. In, in the NIV, the one we read, it it's calls it a launderer's soap, right? Like, like gain or tide. Well, not necessarily. The... The version of, of scripture that I kind of grew up using said, he will be a fuller's soap. And when I first heard fuller's soap as a kid, I thought that's got to be a brand name, right? But it's not actually. The job of a fuller in the prophet's time, in Malachi's time, the job of a fuller was to make wool pure, So wool, when you first shear a sheep, that wool is not white. Because for the last year, that sheep has been laying on the ground and in the grass and in the manure, out in the pasture, and everything that it's been laying in for the past year is embedded into its wool. And it's not white when you shear it, it's only white when the fuller has cleaned it. And then it can be made into cloth and it can be dyed different colors and it can be worked with, but not until it's cleaned. See, that too is an image of of Jesus as a purifier. And in the image, in in the presence of the one who is the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap, the prophet rightfully asks, Who can stand? I am not pure. I don't belong. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's not only the purifier, but then... Then the prophet uses this image of this courtroom imagery. Then I will be a witness against. It's this courtroom imagery. Some translations have used the word judge, and that would be appropriate too. He comes as a judge, testifying against, testifying against me. Well, maybe it's not me. Let's take a look. 
What, what does it say? The Lord says, I will be quick to testify against sorcerers. Well, maybe I'm okay there. I don't know how to sorcerer. So I, I, maybe I'm okay there. Although, unfortunately, I, if I'm going to be honest, I probably have looked to things other than God to, to, to do what only God should be doing. And, and adulterers and perjurers. I, I have never been called to testify in a courtroom case ever. I'm, I skate as a perjurer. I've never had the chance to perjure myself because I've never been sworn in to testify. So I'm okay there. Except that I have to admit there are times I have played fast and loose with the truth when... Okay. Well, he, he talks about adulterers. Jesus tells us later what the standard is there, right? Anybody who has toyed with the idea of thinking sexual sin would be too bad, that's not okay. If that... If that has crossed my mind, I'm guilty as an adulterer. How can I stand in the presence of such a judge? And if that's not enough, he goes on. He's going to be quick to testify against those who defraud laborers of their wages. Okay, I I don't have any employees. I I don't have any laborers, right? So I can maybe skate on that one. And then, well, maybe things are looking up for me because then he says, testify against those who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive foreigners among you of justice and do not fear me. And, and, and you know what? I, maybe I can pick my head up a little bit because it really irks me when people defraud the vulnerable, when they defraud the widows and the fatherless and those others who are vulnerable and they take advantage, those people who take advantage of those most vulnerable among us, that really irks me. It honestly does. And so I look at that and I think, I'm okay there because that really bothers me. In fact, if we were to stand around and have a conversation, I could tell you, I've, I've got some ideas. And, and there are other people who I think have good ideas about, about how we should deal with people who take advantage of others. Um, and, and even how maybe we could set up systems that, that would make it better. In fact, I'll, I'll spend some time trying to sway you to, to my opinion about such things. How do we deal with those who, who oppress the vulnerable? In fact, if I'm honest with myself... I, 
There are days when I'm really more interested in convincing you how right I am about the vulnerable than I am about really caring for the vulnerable. It's kind of my own version of oppression. I'm going to use vulnerable as a way to convince you that I'm right. And if I'm not careful, they're just a tool for me to use for my own purposes, and I'm as guilty as those who oppress them in some other way. Jesus comes to the temple as a purifier and as a judge. And who can stand? And and when Jesus comes back again, and I don't know about you, but I kind of look forward to that day when he comes to take us home and But when he comes back again, he's going to come as a purifier and as a judge. And and who can stand? Because I have to confess that I stand condemned. Thankfully, the prophet doesn't leave us there. But he goes on in verse 6 to say, God is speaking to us through the prophet, and verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Judah, are not destroyed. The descendants of Jacob that it says here, descendants of Jacob needs to be understood as as all of us who are those people of faith in Jesus Christ. People of faith are the descendants of Jacob, those who trust in God. Those are the ones who are not destroyed. We have no right to stand in his presence except that God is a redeeming God. And God has always been a redeeming God. He says, I don't change. I I do not change. He has always been a redeeming God, and he always will be a redeeming God. And in his first coming, how can we stand? We stand in his presence. Those who stood before him in the manger, they stood in his presence only because God is a redeeming God. And when he comes back again, our only hope of being able to stand in his presence is because God is a redeemer. He always has been and he doesn't change. We can only stand in the presence of the refiner, in the presence of the judge, if we stand trusting in the redeemer.
The only way we will be able to stand when Jesus comes again is if we trust the one who came to redeem us on that first Christmas. In him, we can stand. You pray with me?